Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Guest Community Church. My name is Pastor Josh De La Rosa, and today we're wrapping up this current message series that we've been in since Easter, and it's called The Difference. And in this series of messages, we've been looking through the Bible and taking a look also at the impact in our culture of the Christian movement and asking each week this key question. It's, is the world around us better or worse off because of Christianity. And overall, we're really challenging the idea that skeptics sometimes have stated, which is that all of the problems of the whole world can be traced back to organized religion. And and maybe this has been your position. And we're really wanting to help you investigate this claim further and lay out some evidence, positive evidence of the impact of Christianity. So for those of you who already believe in Jesus, maybe you're a Christ follower and, and you follow him, what we've hoped to do is We wanted to equip you in some specific areas of life that we can statistically and historically trace back the positive impact of the Christian movement on our world. So over the past six weeks, we've looked at uh, the investigative evidence of the resurrection, and we looked at this book right here called Cold Case Christianity, drew some quotes out of that. You can check out that resource for yourself uh, to look at how a homicide a detective investigated the claims of Jesus' resurrection, and in doing so, he himself became a Christian. Uh, we also looked at the positive change through Christian government leaders and uh, the difference that has been made in countries and regions where the, the primary leader, the core leader, uh, became a Christ follower, and, and you could sort of see the difference in the good that came to the society and to the culture. We looked at compassion and aid efforts initiated by Christians. And, you know, anytime you see a natural disaster, you often hear that Christians are already on the ground doing what they can to help out. Whether it be fires, earthquakes, hurricanes, um, the devastation of wars, you see the relief and compassion efforts of churches and Christians rallying to do something. Also, we've looked at groups that have raised the inherent inherent worth of women and children and, and, and said, no, uh, these people matter and we need to make sure that rights are protected and preserved. And so uh, we even recently did a service project uh, to help with uh, rebirth homes and there was a work day and some other efforts that we did to support some of the groups uh, that we come alongside uh, here, Riverside Life Services, also locally uh, to, again, be a part of, of saying that there is worth for children and for women. And so uh, last week we looked at Christians' efforts to eliminate racial barriers. And so uh, all of these messages, as we've looked at these, they really touch on relevant issues in our culture and in the news right now. Most of these things, these topics we've, we've talked about, uh, there's things going on. Real people are being affected by things in our world. And so all of these messages, I invite you to check these back out if you've missed any of them. These are all available for you online or on Church Center. And so today we're going to wrap things up in a way by returning back to where we started on Easter Sunday. And, and really ask the question, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't really occur, then why would his followers propagate a lie? Why would they carry on this movement if this didn't actually happen? And why would so many through the centuries, so many Christians be willing to pay really such a high price to share the message of Jesus? So many Christians in areas that are hostile to Christianity, they suffer painful persecution. 
However, people press on despite that opposition. And I want to show you a video from the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs, a man named Richard Wormbrand. And he was a, an evangelical minister who endured, get this, 14 years of communist imprisonment and torture in his homeland of Romania. And we've edited down this video. It's a pretty intense video. Uh, you can check out more Voice of the Martyrs. You can find this online in a longer form film. Uh, but this is an actor portraying uh, what uh, Richard Warmbrand had went through and what this persecution that he faced and others have faced have really, what did that really look like? And so take, take a look at this. After being arrested, I spent the next three years in a solitary cell. It was enough to drive any man mad. The martyr Savonarola wrote, There are those who believe in God, and those who, just as sincerely, believe that they believe. Now I had to ask myself, did I believe in God? My wife Sabina had also been arrested. My son Mihai left orphan. Sabina would spend the next 18 months in a slave labor camp on the Danube. In these my darkest hours, my only hope was in prayer. Of course, in prison, prayer was forbidden. In spite of the beatings, I prayed every day. I prayed God would give me strength to endure. And of course, I prayed for my family. My feet were beaten so often and so brutally. Communism had stripped them of any form of humanity and only God's love could restore them.
I hate in the sin, but never the sinner. And some we even want to Christ. Now, what, what's amazing about these stories is that after they've walked through these experiences, whether this man here or others who walk through that, these folks they keep sharing their faith. They don't they don't back down. They they led out in ministry. They they advance to take new ground uh, for uh, bringing Christianity to new people, new cultures. Uh, this man, Richard Warmbrand, he he led out in his ministry and spoke about his experience for years after he was released. Up until pretty much he died at the age of 91, sharing and encouraging people in the church to endure uh, the difficulty. Now, he certainly wasn't the first one to suffer. Uh, there actually have been many attempts to, to, to stop and to squelch the Christian movement. And I want to highlight uh, those to just get us started as we as we head further. First, the, it's Jesus. Jesus' crucifixion was the first failed attempt really, to stop the Christian movement. This was an attempt to block the work of God. And I want to I want to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 22 through 24. And Peter, one of Jesus' followers, he gets up and he speaks to a huge crowd who had gathered uh, for a Jewish feast day. And take a look at what he shares. This is after Jesus' resurrection. It reads this, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you. Through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless men, lawless people, to nail him to a cross and kill him. But God raised him up. See, this wasn't the end. This was the attempt to stop the Christian movement. But Peter reminds him, God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. You see, death is not the end. When you hold the keys to life and death, which Jesus does, he's God, this is not the end for him. But that was the first attempt to stop the Christian movement, was the crucifixion of Jesus. But it was a failed attempt. Now, we've got to look at some of these other things. The first Christian missionaries were often opposed. So in Acts chapter 14, and I'm just going to review some of the things we've looked at in this series. Acts 14, verses 5 and 6, we read about plans and attempts, plans and schemes. They seem to sort of constantly show up around the ministry of Paul. Look at this, these verses, Acts 14, verse 5. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it, they being the missionaries, and they fled to, like, to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding country, countryside. And so you see these attempts that were made by, these are plans, these are schemes that surface, and the Christians find out about it, and they continue to move the, me- the message on to the next town. Uh, but you see this uh, attempt to oppose the Christians. Other ways Christian missionaries have been opposed, or, or in this case, were angry mobs. So if you move a little further into Acts chapter 14, verse 19, you see these groups of people who go out of their way, mob mentality, moving out of their way to oppose and try to stop the ministry of Paul. So look at Acts 14, verse 19. It reads, Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. So they start throwing, his angry mob, throwing rocks at Paul, and assuming they'd killed him, and then they basically drug him out of the city. More opposition has come through being 
those who have been beaten and jailed. You see that in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. We looked at this a few weeks back. We looked at when Saul and, or when Paul and Silas set an, an enslaved girl free from some spiritual bondage. And what this did is it brought opposition from those who profited off this young girl and they threw these missionaries in jail. Look at Acts 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates, those are the Roman officials, said stripped off their clothes, this is Paul and Silas, and ordered them to be beaten with rods. So, these men are, uh, they're not uh, doing anything but preaching about Jesus and helping people come to faith in him and setting people free from uh, spiritual bondage, but they pay a real price. They're beaten up, they're thrown in jail. Still others were hunted down. Again, Paul, Acts 17, verses 5 and 6. We're now in a different town. Paul and Silas arrive in a town, uh, Thessalonica. Uh, just Here's a map for you to see where, where Thessalonica is. Uh, they're once again, though, met uh, with opposition. Uh, this time, the angry mob can't find Paul or Silas, and so they mistreat uh, the person who is uh, who had them in their house. This man's name is Jason. So look, Acts 17, 5 and 6 reads, But the Jews became jealous. They brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob. They started a riot in the city. And attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. They're trying to fall, find Paul and Silas. They can't find them there, though. When they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who've come who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. And so Jesus' followers, they're turning the world upside down with their message. And we're actually a part of the 17.6 network of churches. This is a church planting and uh, training network uh, that uh, share a common heritage uh, from Hope Church in, uh, in, in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, but this is where the network name comes from. We aim to create life-changing churches. So if you look at that verse in, in Acts 17, verse 6, uh, the officials say they're looking for the Christians. These are the men who've come. They've turned the world upside down, and they've come here to our city too. And, and we aim to be creating life-changing churches who turn the world upside down, which is really right side up from God's point of view. And so here's the vision of our network of churches. The vision of the pastors and the churches who are members of the 17.6 network is to see that. We want to see life changing churches multiplying throughout the world and sometimes people come up to me as a pastor and they say and maybe it's because they've been with us for a season of time maybe through their college years or just a few years and they start experiencing a certain kind of culture a certain type of church life and relationships and they'll ask me the question hey where can i find a church for my friends or for my family or, or i'm i'm moving out of state and and you know, we're looking for a church where they practice these heart attitudes, these core values. And so I'll point them to uh, our website, uh, 176network.com. There's a place in there where you can find the churches in our network. And there, there are some of our churches that are beginning to plant further and further away. And But back to Paul, this situation in Thessalonica, it forced Paul and Silas to, to flee to the next town. Uh, where the people were more open and receptive. But but then, uh, they're chased out of that town as well. And this is another factor you see with Christian Christians who are opposed. Acts 17, verse 13 through 15 reads, and if you take a look, you'll see this happen. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too. He finds a more receptive group in the town of Berea. But 
the group from the previous town catches up with them. It says, they came there to debris, agitating and upsetting the crowds. This is a group from the previous town that comes to stir things up. And then it reads, then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. And those who escorted Paul brought him out as far as Athens. And after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. And so you have these two men stay and endure, uh, but then Paul, he heads further and further towards Athens, Greece, because he needs to share with the group that's there. Because the mission must continue. Christ's followers are committed to this mission. Now, another point I want to make is that Christians that were harboring missionaries found themselves jailed, threatened, and fined. So you see, backing up to Acts 17, verse 6 again, we see this with that man, Jason. Uh, but this actually continues to, in, some, uh, in some regions today even. But look at Acts 17, verse 6. When this riot, this mob came and they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, "These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too." And then they point to Jason, and Jason has welcomed them. So Jason is this man he's seen as harboring these these missionaries, and now Jason's about to pay a price. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying there's another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset, and after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. So, this incident, it shows you the heart of why Jesus and his movement have faced so much opposition. It's that power structures are clearly threatened. They're threatened by the Christian movement because Christians serve another king. They serve King Jesus. And this means that someone else can lead Christians is Jesus, is the boss, he's our master, he's king. And so, uh, power is a major status symbol for most of the world, and Christians are a threat because they can't be controlled. But instead, they humbly serve the wishes of their king, Jesus. And this concept infuriates many people who are in power. They can't handle the you can't control Christians. Now let's ask the question, if Christianity has done so much good, which is what we've laid out over six weeks, all of the good around the world that is traced back to Christians, and if you were to take all the Christians out of the world, you remove all the good that they brought. But here's the question, if Christianity has done so much good, then why have there been so many attempts to stop it? First of all, it's because God's enemy is behind the opposition. God has a very real enemy who becomes our enemy if we choose to follow Christ and we start dealing with opposition so in his wisdom God actually allows us to uh, endure uh, this opposition and God allows this to occur so look at Revelation chapter 13 uh, verse 7 it reads this and it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. This is referencing one of God's spiritual enemies who is given permission and is God has allowed our enemy to oppose us. Ephesians 6 uh, is another chapter in the Bible that, that explains that our struggle in life, it's not against flesh and blood. It's just not a physical struggle. Our enemy is spiritual and he is stirring up the power structures of the world to oppose Christians. And we've seen that throughout this series. And we can look at that in relationship to world history as well. But the good news is this. The good news is that Jesus defeated our enemy 
on the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It states that God, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him, him meaning Christ. God made a public spectacle out of his enemy, Satan, on the cross, because it was right there that they thought that that God was defeated and that Jesus was destroyed and that he they they thought well he's dead now little good he can do but they were completely fooled actually the resurrection showed his power to forgive all who receive him and to change the world god holds all the power and if we claim the victory in specific situations we actually can experience that power in our life. Now, another reason that there's opposition to Christianity is that most people resist change and really go to great pains to oppose anything perceived as a threat to the status quo. And Jesus' stated goal of heart change is a threat to many people. We feel a threat because Jesus wants to change us for the good. And we're we're not sure that we can really trust him. Now, the Apostle Paul says that that. He was a man who, this missionary, Paul, he wanted to do good, but often he, he ends up doing the wrong that he doesn't want to do. And that's, that's how we feel. We want to do good things, but our heart, it still is, is sinful and selfish and arrogant. We have wrong desires, so we want to do good things, but often it's the wrong things that we don't want to do that we end up doing. And frankly, many people, we just sort of like our lives the way they are, and we resist allowing Jesus to really change us because of the threat that he is to what for us has become quite normal. Normal for us is sort of like that that cozy blanket that we don't want to give up. It just feels so warm and, 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 and nice. And we don't like to give up normal. But this is one of the reasons we resist change on a personal level, now, let me be honest for a moment. All of this talk about opposition and persecution and pain, it can sort of freak us out, cause us to just really potentially withdraw. Most of us have not experienced uh, the type of persecution that we've read about in the Bible today. Uh, people do endure this in certain parts of the world. But just the thought of, of the fact that something painful or difficult might happen to, to me or to my family you know, for us to all think about that, that can make all of us feel really uncomfortable and potentially even worried. And you might ask, hey, why are we even ending this series of messages on such a downer note? Why why conclude things on a low note? Well, here's my answer. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, if that's you, then I want you to know something. You are a part of a movement that is stronger and more resilient than anything ever seen on this planet. You Get to be a part of the household of God. People who are distinguished by a faith that is stronger than steel. And in my opinion, this topic, it's, it's not a downer. It actually is quite inspiring. We're inspired when we see the good that Christians have done through the centuries, even despite opposition. For example, the Christian movement hasn't been stopped by tanks or swords, or dictators. When the Soviet Union outlawed Christianity, Christians, they kept meeting, even though many of them were, 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 were punished for it. Even some were killed or sentenced to freeze to death in these camps. Uh, Christians continued to meet to worship Jesus, their king. And backing up you know, to the first century, when Nero uh, or other ancient Roman emperors began feeding Christians to the lions and Colosseums, and when Christians were were 
were persecuted and killed um, and and really even uh, insulted in so many ways, the movement kept growing. When men used swords to slaughter whole villages of Christians, you know those followers of Jesus, uh, even devout Christians living peacefully in in mountain monasteries, when those were run through, the movement didn't get stopped. It still continued to advance on and on all throughout the world. This is our story. The influence of Jesus has not been stopped by language barriers, by continental divides, by cultural divides, by the implosion of civilizations. Ever since Jesus lived or and claimed to be God, his movement has been growing and growing and growing, and no power on earth or in hell has been able to silence it, to stifle it, or to stop it. And seeing the endurance of godly men and women, when we read about these stories in Scripture, or when we share stories about church history, it just leads me to believe that, hey, I have access to a faith that is far more resilient than I realize. Now, here's some takeaways. Some very important steps for those of you who believe. Next step, number one, decide now that I will trust God, come what may. If you're at a point where you're ready to believe in Christ, decide now. I'll trust God, come what may. If you've made that decision 10 years ago, 10 months ago, 10 days ago, if you've become a Christian, maybe 30 years ago, decide in your heart right now, I will trust God no matter how difficult life gets. Now, I often have to put myself in the shoes of these martyrs, wondering what would it be like? How could I handle that kind of pressure? And here's the conclusion that I've reached. I will trust God. I will trust God. I will not turn back. There's no turning back. If I experience severe persecution, I believe God will give me the grace in the moment to bear it. I I don't think he necessarily gives grace to bear it ahead of time, but I know that he will give grace in the moment at that time if I determine to trust him. In every book I read, every person who has faithfully endured and trusted God said they would not trade their painful experiences because of the richness and the depth of their faith that was produced through it. The closer communion with Christ outweighed all of that pain. Now along similar lines, another step I can take right now is this. I can refuse intimidation and I can ask God for courage to keep spreading the message right here. And we may feel intimidated by individual people who ridicule or threaten us and the things that we believe. We may also feel intimidated by the large shifts happening right now in our culture. In many ways, our society is sort of driving away further and further from the things that please God. And it can feel like darkness and confusion and and the twisting of truth is really on the rise. And this can all make us feel very despairing. But let's ask God for courage to keep sharing the good news, to keep shining the light of Jesus on people's path. Let's boldly stand up for what is right and say what is right, even when it seems unpopular. If you read further in Acts chapter 17, again, verse 13 and 14, you see those protesters who followed Paul to Berea. you got to remember, people sometimes go out of their way uh, to persecute Christians. Paul, he moved further and further uh, west to spread the gospel. But two guys, Silas and Timothy, they actually stay put to face that opposition to continue the work there in Berea. And they just they just had this sense that that was where God wanted them to stay. Paul moved further, Paul and, uh, but Silas and Timothy stay and face the pressure. You know, in recent years, some have, have fled California. And there's there's a variety of reasons and we're all aware of those and, and, and in some cases, um, it just, it makes sense, you know, God leads a person away. 
but for sometimes the desire, the, the motivation, the primary core issue is a desire to find safer, uh, friendlier places to live and to raise a family. And, and, and there are those that, and maybe you're one, you're just wrestling through the tension of should I stay or not. You're deciding to, to wrestle through it. Or maybe you have recently decided to stay put. You know, praise God for those who have refused intimidation and have decided to take a stand in a place where it is desperately needed. We live in Riverside, California. This is a major training opportunity that has a pipeline of students. We have four colleges in our town. God has allowed our church to be a pipeline to train people up in their 20s who in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond can be making a huge impact on our world. And this is a strategic location. And Southern California is a major population center. There's 24 million people in Southern California. And in in the Inland Empire where Riverside is situated, we are the one of the only areas that I know of in our state that saw population growth in the past two years. Most of California saw a reduction in population. In the Inland Empire, we have what's called in-migration. People who sold homes in Orange County and L.A. County or the coastal regions have moved into the Inland Empire. Uh, and so we have an opportunity right now. And so we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a part of our church because God is doing something right here, right now. And there are major resources here in our state. And I want to encourage you to consider how might God leverage the resources of our state. And despite the the discouraging news about our state, God may still use us for mighty things. And since we have brothers and sisters who are experiencing greater persecution than we do, another step we can take is to pray for them. Let's pray for those in hostile regions. When Paul was imprisoned, Paul himself asked for prayer. Look at the end of Colossians chapter 4. Paul from prison writes this, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So Paul, he's asking for prayer and we can do that. We can pray for the release and the protection of those who are suffering right now for spreading the faith. We can pray for the release and the protection of, of those who are suffering right now, but also we can pray that God would use those painful situations as a doorway, as Paul is saying, for the word to be shared. And we've spent six weeks talking about the impact of the Christian movement in our world, and perhaps now you have more reasons to declare you know, to our world that you know, we are truly better off since Jesus came. Hey, I want to bring this entire series to a close by asking two questions. My first question is this. They're really directed to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. And here's the question. Will you entrust your life to Jesus Christ? You can see that the message of Jesus has been spreading unstoppable throughout the ages. Christ followers have been growing in number throughout the world. God may be wanting the message of hope to spread right now into your life. And more than likely, uh, there are spiritual forces opposing you making a commitment to Christ, blocking you from from really taking the next step in your spiritual journey. Just as we read about many of the examples of opposition today, you might actually right now feel an internal battle. Maybe you maybe you're ready and you want to establish Jesus as the Lord, the boss of your life, but you feel like something is holding you back, something is blocking you. You know, Jesus taught that we all carry shame, guilt, pain, regret around with us, and we carry these broken parts of our past, sort of like a backpack full of rocks. And we we have these painful memories, these broken identities, these regrets and failure. And and that's why Jesus also said 
that he would give rest to restless souls who seek him. Maybe you're ready to just take that, shed that weight, take that weight of the past off. And if you need real peace in your life, it's time that you remove the backpack, remove the obstacles, push through the opposition and cross the line of faith. I would encourage you right here and now. Would you let us know? If that's where you're at, let us know on your connection card. Let us know on Church Center. Reach out to us. We would love to help. My second question is for you that are Christ followers. Here's the question. Will you make your life about God's kingdom and not yours? You know, we feel the pull towards building our own kingdom. That's why we want to live in, in, in safety. But if you decide to make a real difference in our world, you, you just might be signing yourself up to experience some opposition. In fact, my family, we often talk about double O's. Whenever God provides an opportunity for ministry, there's usually opposition right around the corner. Double O's. Opportunity and opposition go hand in hand. So you have an opportunity to attend a church event, and then you get sick. Or you have an opportunity to be generous and sacrificial, and then an, an unexpected bill comes up. Or, or you have an opportunity to invest in the church but then a, a fun personal activity sort of crops up and you feel like, oh, there's a tension that's getting, getting in the way. Or the opportunity to encourage someone else, the opportunity to, to share your faith, it arises, but then you get discouraged and doubtful. God may be bringing opportunities right now, this week, in fact, this summer. Plan on the enemy bringing some opposition. Opposition is just sort of a normal part of the Christian life. It doesn't always mean that you're doing something wrong. In fact, opposition might mean that you're doing something right. Your life is going to be about something. You can decide to make your life about God's kingdom. We can make little shifts and decisions to stop building our own little kingdoms. And God, he will advance his plans regardless of what we do. But he gives us the chance to sacrifice and to join him in the work. And so, will you inconvenience yourself and be part of making an eternal difference? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for our time. Thank you for uh, this series where we've looked at some of the tangible uh, differences that have been made in our world as a result of the Christian movement. And we get to stand in line of those who have been world changers. And so we thank you. I pray for each person watching, Lord, that we'd wrestle through these next steps and these questions. And Lord, for those that have never made you Lord of their lives, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for those. And for those that are really wrestling through uh, challenges and opposition, Lord, I pray that you'd grant us strength to endure all that we face and that we would decide ahead of time to trust you, come what may. And so we, we thank you for the life of, of our church and just this season of opportunity that we've been in. We pray you would use us to accomplish much in the world as we follow you, our Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.